0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, and as you're seated, let's celebrate the resurrected King together this morning. Man, it is so good to have you here at Connect Church. For those who are here physically and those who are joining online, we are so grateful that you are here and that you are a part today. It's good to have some of you back, Trace. Getting married this past week? Congratulations, man! So happy to have you back. I know this that triumph quartet back here singing in the choir. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but we send them out every week all across our nation, and they sing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact. I think they have a couple Dove Award nominations uh, this go around, which is really cool. And so we're so glad to have them back home today. And last week, we had the joy of praying for Gerard, one of our own, uh, who'd been in the hospital. Young guy, 29 years old, uh, COVID-19, blood clots filled up his lungs. And you know, he was at the 9 o'clock service this morning. He's out of the hospital and doing well. That's just a good good praise. And hey, even though, oh, you're in the 11 too. Okay. That's just showing off. I didn't know you'd come to this one as well. But, man, we prayed over you. And I'm going to tell you, uh, when you went from the urgent care via ambulance uh, to UT Hospital... Man, I didn't sleep well that night, and I was worried for you. But how good God is that. I, and many of y'all have been sick, but to be able to see that today, man, we're so glad uh, to have you back. So glad that you're here. And even today, uh, while I'm preaching, one of our own Nathan Ogles over at Cartertown Baptist Church preaching the gospel this morning. And uh, man, it's just a good day uh, to be his church, to be God's family as we gather together to make much of Jesus. Excited about this afternoon, man, our barbecue and baptism. I think we're going to wind up baptizing near 20 folks, if you have time this afternoon, come celebrate what the gospel does and how it works in people's hearts and lives and celebrate those taking their next step of faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you've not done that, there is no better time. Then with barbecue filling your belly right afterwards, walking out in that river and letting us hold you under that water just for a minute. Not really even a minute, uh, but just for a couple seconds and helping you na- take your next steps. So if you need to be baptized, if you need to follow the Lord in Believer's Baptism, as you leave today, hang a left and there go to our next steps tent. And we would love to help you do that, get you signed up for that today. Now, how did everybody do? Uh, for those of you who are teachers or staff at schools, parents or students Everybody survived pretty good your first week at school. Everybody kind of here. I love this part of the year because online there comes some pretty incredible memes. Can I tell you one of my favorite things to see on social media this time of year is when you take pictures of your kids on their first day of school. You know you do it, right? You have those pictures. It tells what grade they're in. I mean, it's pretty cool. But I also love this meme because it shows how that picture taking comes across to your kids. You ready? It's more like prison photos, like, they're in for life now that <laughs> they're in first grade. I thought that was really cool. And this is really the dichotomy of the first day of school. Um, here's some of the kids. It's my first day of kindergarten. And here was me. I hate school, and, if I, refuse, and I refuse to hold a sign unless it said I hate school, right? So kind of how you see kids as they get ready for school. Here's every parent on the first day of school. Freedom, right? Uh, your kids are finally back out of your home. Um, here is a greater picture of mom. She just, thank God, kids are back in school. Now here's for the homeschool mom and that is Alexa homeschool my kids. And wouldn't that be a great, hey, homeschool moms, wouldn't that be great if Alexa could just do that? We'll work on that. Um, here's, a, here's a really, uh, this is an accurate picture, in fact, a real picture of teachers getting ready for their first day, right? Hanging on to summertime as much as they possibly can. Before, uh, the storm that is, te- and this is my favorite for teachers. Who says teaching isn't stressful? I'm 39 and I feel great. And uh, I think that's probably a pretty, accurate depiction of what the first week of school looks like for teachers. Just glad you're doing well, and what a, what a great mission field. I want to say this. Every, every year, I preach a message entitled, Saved People, Serve People. Saved People, Serve People. And this is that Sunday that we begin to venture to challenge and to look to God's Word to see what it really is For saved people to serve people. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 25 together. Matthew chapter 25. And as you head there, what we find in the the chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew is something called the Olivet Discourse. Let's better frame it up this way. It's the Olivet Teaching. It's where Jesus gathered his disciples while on the Mount of Olives. And let me tell you something about the Mount of Olives. Man, if you've ever been to Israel... What a beautiful setting. This hillside that overlooks the walled city of Jerusalem. Just a beautiful setting. And there we find Jesus sitting with his disciples, and he begins to teach them uh, some really important things about the end times. And it's in this setting, and I want, as you turn there, I, I want to break for just a moment and remind you of something as we, as we kind of join Jesus here in Matthew chapter 25, as he sits probably in a circle with his disciples. Can I just remind you, church, that as believers, we grow more sitting in circles than we do in rows. How important it is that believers have a group of believers that they can come alongside of disciple together and study God's word together. Here at Connect Church, we're convinced that every believer, that every church member needs two things. Number one, a role, a place to serve, and a relationship, a group to belong to. A group where you can sit in circles together. We believe that. We believe that's the heartbeat of every church, and that is the growth and the life of every church we come in contact with. Now let's go back to the Mount of Olives. That was for free. Beautiful. Overlooks the walls and the cities of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount area in Jerusalem. A lot of biblical history has taken place on the Mount of Olives. And hear me, when Jesus comes again, a lot of things will unfold here at the Mount of Olives. And we see this incredible scenery where Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the end times. In fact, back in 2019, I stood on the Mount of Olives and overlooked the the city of Jerusalem, the walled city. You see its walls right here. In fact, here's the temple area. Um, Now, of course... The holiest shrine in Islam sits there now. But this is the very temple area of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. I stood on the Mountain of Olives in a graveyard. One of the most beautiful graveyards I've ever been in. You see, for the past 3,000 years, Jewish faithful have been buried on the Mount of Olives. And you say, well, why is that? Well, first of all, what an incredible scene. Second of all, here's what they're convinced that the Messiah has yet to come, that when the Messiah does come, that the faithful Jews will rise up out of their graves and they will walk in the holy city of Jerusalem. And in fact, everybody buried in these graves, their feet are buried facing the city so that when their Messiah comes, they won't even have to turn around. They'll walk straight into the city. It's an incredible sight. But I want to say this. To Jewish friends and to the Jewish faithful the wait is over your Messiah has come his name is Jesus and talk about rising up out of the grave he did just that and by faith and trust in him the true Messiah one day you will rise even though you die the great hope the good news even for the Jewish faithful today the Messiah has come And his name is Jesus. This is the very context of Jesus teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 25. And here's something else important to note. That as Jesus teaches the disciples in Matthew 25, he is two days out from some pretty important events in his life. He's two days out from the Passover meal or his last supper. What we celebrate is the Lord's Supper. He's two days out for being arrested in the garden, abandoned by the disciples. He's two days out from the trials that will subsequently end in his beating and in his crucifixion. I'm going to tell you what's true. A man and his last words and his last teachings are some of the most important of all. And Jesus uses this time to teach his disciples of the, end times, the events are the series of events that lead up to Jesus' thousand-year reign or millennial reign here on earth. What takes place at the end of the great tribulation time as Jesus establishes His throne? Well, that's what He teaches the disciples here on the Mount of Olives. Look at verse 31. The Bible says this, as Jesus teaches, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on his glorious throne. He will sit on his glorious throne, the Bible tells us. You know what's amazing about this, all of that discourse, or this teaching on the Mount of Olives, is it reminds us to celebrate this key truth. You ready? Church, Jesus is coming again. It's indisputable. Christ is coming Again, I love what Adrian Rogers says, and I've quoted this several times. Adrian Rogers says, hey, for the believer, we ought to live as if Jesus died on the cross yesterday. He rose again this morning, and he's coming again this afternoon. Church, Jesus is coming again. And as we talk the end times, as we read this incredible teaching of Jesus, we do not do so in fear but grounded in great hope. And we so labor. Hear me, church. It is our job to labor until the second coming of Christ. You and I must labor to make sure the world has heard of His first coming, where He was born of a virgin, where He died on the cross, and He rose again. And He can save anybody. He can save anybody. We must labor that all will know the gospel. But back to Matthew 25. As Jesus establishes his reign after the time of great tribulation, there is a judgment that takes place. And the question becomes, who gets in the kingdom? Who is it that will enter Jesus' kingdom? Now watch what takes place here in verse 32. The Bible says, and Jesus says, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You see, at the end of the Great Tribulation, Jesus will separate the saved from the unsaved. As the Palestinian shepherd would allow his sheep to graze out in the field, at times his sheep would intermingle with goats. As the day came to an end, the Palestinian shepherd, because he loved his sheep, would painstakingly separate out his sheep from the goats because... From a distance, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. And so before the day was done, he would separate out his sheep, make sure they were accounted for and protected because sheep to the shepherd were far more valuable than the goats. You see, the shepherd loved his sheep. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing in this judgment. You say, well, what's what's the deal with the right hand and the left hand? in their culture, in that community, to be at the right hand of somebody was a place of honor and a position of praise. But to be at somebody's left hand was a place in a position of disgrace. So for those of you guys on this side today, way to pick your seats. And for those of you over here praying for you, okay? And uh, I'll fast until lunch for you. But anyway, this is whole designation, what Jesus uses to describe this judgment that is to take place. So imagine this. Those who are believers, those who are in Christ are on his right side. And those who reject Christ are in the place of disgrace on his left. Let's watch this unfold in verse 34. The Bible says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In verse 35, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I want you to notice something, church, in this text. The sheep, the believers, were known by their service. They were known by how well they served the Lord. Now, I want to give a caveat here. Not that their serving saved them. Rather, their service was proof that they were saved. It is a reminder from Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Paul writes, this is not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. He reminds us that it is the gift of God and not from ourselves. And you might sit there and say, listen, well, how do I serve like those sheep of Matthew 25? How do I serve the Lord in and through my life? You're right, let me tell you how complicated it is. How it's so complicated, really nobody can figure it out. You ready? Feed someone who's hungry. Give drink to somebody who's thirsty. Put clothes on somebody who needs them. If somebody's sick, care for them. If somebody's in prison, visit them. You come in contact with a neighbor or a stranger, invite them in. Hear their story. Hey, you ready? If somebody is lonely, sit with them. If somebody is hurting, hear them out. How hard is it? Care for people. How complex? Look for people. And love people. There's the age-old adage that says this, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. We serve the Lord by loving what he loves most, and that is people, even the least of these. Last week, um, or actually a couple weeks ago, we we did Love Week around our community. Some of y'all took part in that incredible week. One night we sent folks out, we celebrated this on the video, and they bought groceries and gas and went to coin laundries and all that kind of stuff for folks and, and just loved on them. And uh, one of our students, Houston, uh, found a a precious lady who was in a wheelchair at a grocery store at the Walmart. And he went up and he, he paid for her groceries. And not only did he pay for her groceries, but he walked those groceries to her car, loaded them for her, and prayed with her. And just this incredible thing. He'd never been really used by God like that before. And it was a big deal to him. You know what's so amazing about that? That took place a couple weeks ago. And do you know that last Sunday, she came to church? She came to church and she loved it. She invited friends to come with her. And not only that, she had filled out a little bit of information for us and put it in the offering plate. And in all the information she put, I I love what she wrote. In In a way for us to understand who she was, Here's how she described herself. You saw me at Walmart. That's what she wrote. You you saw me at Walmart. How is it that I could be safe people who serve people? It is as complex as just simply seeing people at Walmart and serving them. And loving them. This is the type of service that Jesus outlines and celebrates in Matthew chapter 25. The type of service found by those on his right side. Now, watch this in Matthew 25 37. Jesus says, Then the righteous will answer him Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go? to visit you. Hey, do you catch the surprise in the voice of those who are on Jesus' right? Now let me tell you what their surprise is and isn't. You see, they aren't surprised that they are saved and at the right hand of Christ. Rather, they are surprised at how impactful, how important, how meaningful their service was to Jesus. How much it meant to Jesus that saved people serve people. Look at Jesus' words in verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, he says, look, you, you did it for me. Now, these brothers and sisters of mine, there's a little theological debate on who he really is describing there. Uh, For some, they would believe it's the Jewish believers in the Great Tribulation who would take on especially the ire and the persecution of the Antichrist and the evil that reigned during that time. But no matter who these brothers and sisters are that Jesus references, here's what we know, that saved people in the Great Tribulation served people. And Jesus said, "When you do that, you serve, you serve me." Mother Teresa would say this one time, "A day lived without doing something good for someone else is not a day worth living." Isn't that good? A day lived without serving somebody else is not a day worth living." And so what are the two areas? That we see historically in the New Testament and practically lived out in the church in the New Testament. The two areas, the two arenas where saved people serve people. You ready? Area number one in the gathering together and area number two in their going. Saved people serve people in the gathering together and in their going. But I want to share this with you, church. These areas are not mutually exclusive. Here's what I mean. It doesn't mean that you can show up and go, you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord in the least of these inside the building, inside the body of Christ, and I'll leave people serving Christ in the community in the world to somebody else. That's not what that means. Some might say, well, you know what? I'm going to go on the mission field. I'm going to go overseas, or I'm I'm going to serve the Lord in the least of these out in the community, and I'll leave serving in the gathering for somebody else. Hey, guys, they're not mutually exclusive. It's like bacon and eggs, peanut butter and jelly, Krispy Kreme and happiness. You can't have one without the other. And here's the truth of the gospel and the church. Save people, serve people, both in the gathering together, in the body of Christ, and in our going when we leave the walls of this building. That's what it means. And so let's flesh this out and break this down for a moment. What do I mean when I talk about gathering together? And that's why I'm speaking of the body of Christ, the church, as we come together as a family each week to fellowship, to serve Christ, and to make much of Jesus. Now, it's been a couple months since I said this, so I'm going there. Let me remind you the church is not a building, but the body. The church is not a program, but the people. The church is not an organization, but an organism made alive in Christ. It's when his church, his kids get together like we're doing right now this morning. You see Romans chapter 12 verse 5. Paul would write the church and say this. So in Christ, we though many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know what Paul's teaching the churches in Rome? Save people. Serve people. And so let me ask you this, save people. How are you serving the Lord in the body that is the church, in the building, if you will? How are you serving the Lord and the least of these in the very gathering that God has sent you into? And I'm not just talking about members. Listen, some of y'all never joined Connect Church. You've been here for a long time. And that's okay because you know what? God has you here, and the question becomes, where are you serving the Lord in the least of these, in the life of his church? You see, I love this old saying, we can't do everything, but we must do something. Hey, church, hear me. You cannot do everything. I, I, tell my, I remind my staff this all the time. Um, almost three years ago now, or just right at three years ago, I remember the first time we ever had a meeting as Connect Church. It was me. my wife. The whole church fit in the back of a black trailer on the back of my truck. I loaded everything out. I might have led worship that night. I preached that night. I put out every table and chair. And you know what's amazing? That was good then. But I'm going to tell you something. If that's all I ever did, no, no, nobody else sings but me. Nobody else leads but me. Nobody ever sets out a chair but me. Our church would still be no bigger than that trailer. Because God began to bring those who are gifted in so many different ways to use their gifts in the life of his body, connect church, so that saved people could serve people in the gathering together. I want you to hear me. Serving in the life of his church is the task of Every believer is the task of everyone who names the name of Christ. While we're all gifted in different ways, we are one body with one mission, and that is this, to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. I love how Rick Warren framed up serving. Listen to what he said. Serving is the opposite of our natural inclination. Most of the time, We're interested. Let me show this to you. Here's what most people who sit in the church today are interested in. You ready? Serve us. Church, you serve me. And Rick Warren says, for the follower of Christ, the church is a place For service that the church is not a place where we come and we demand it for you serve us rather we come in service of our King of Kings he goes on and writes we say I'm looking for a church that meets my needs and, and blesses me not I'm looking for a place to serve and to be blessed to be a blessing He says we expect others to serve us, not vice versa. But as we mature in Christ, the focus of our lives should increasingly shift to living a life of service. The mature follower of Jesus stops asking who's going to meet my needs and starts asking whose needs can I meet. I'm going to tell you what's beautiful about the gospel. The gospel moves us from this mentality of church, you serve me, you serve us, to moving believers To serve the Lord in his body, in his church. It moves us from viewing the church as a place that exists to meet my needs and to bless me alone to the place where I am the church. And I will meet others' needs and be a blessing to others. Save people, serve people in our gathering together. And you might be sitting there going, Yeah, but how can I serve in his church? How can I serve in in the body of Christ. Well, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Where has God gifted you? What are you good at? What, What do you have a passion for? Oh, Anthony, I'm not good at it. Listen, man, there's so many boys and older boys in this room who play video games for hours a day and some even wear diapers so they can go longer. You know what you're good at. Hey, you think that's cool? you ought to start moving some of them sliders and faders back there. You ought to take control of these lights that move. You ought to go back in this tech room over here and see the many screens you have for helping us get the gospel to those who gather here and those who gather online. Guys, there's a place for every single person to serve in the life of this church. Let me tell you what's going to happen. At the end of this service, out at our Next Steps tent, We have our area leaders, our service area coaches, who will be back there. And their job today is to help onboard anybody who's not serving to be able to serve. To be saved people who serve people. Let me give you a couple of areas. Right now on this day, anywhere between 130 and 160 children will be underneath our feet worshiping the Lord. Especially right here, sometimes you'll hear music come up from underneath you. That's our kids worshiping. Some people may get mad at that, but just get over it. It's a beautiful sound to me. And you know what's amazing? We get the chance, and this is not child care downstairs. We are pointing every child to Jesus and the gospel, the good news of his love for them. And we do so that that parents can come and they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved so that they can be discipled and they can help gather together. Maybe your parents and you drop your kids off downstairs. Maybe your grandparents and you do so. Now you want to talk about a great place to serve? If you like kids or you have kids, man, why not take one service hour, one time a month, and go love on somebody's kids and point them to Jesus? So that up here, we can point moms and dads to Jesus. What a great area to serve! How about on a welcome team? Why not help us form a parking lot team so that everybody who drives on this campus can have someone who's waiting for them, saying, hey, you know what? We are so glad you're here. We've been, we've been waiting and praying for you today. Then why not help with the sound? Why not help with the lights? Why not join this choir? Why not play an instrument unless you're really bad at it, and then we'll put you back in the choir, right? Now, why not find a place where you can serve the Lord in student ministry and college ministry, leading and teaching a group, helping set up chairs? Because every chair that is set up and sat in is a person who hears the gospel. Guys, what are you good at? What do you have a passion for? There is a place for you, saved people, to serve people in the life of his church. You go, Anthony. Why does that matter? Who really cares if I serve? In the life of Connect Church, let me teach you this. Why does it matter? Because saved people serve people, and served people get saved. I want to say that again. Because when saved people serve people, served people get saved. Last week, I got done preaching in the 11 o'clock hour, and many people gave their heart and their life to Jesus last week. Well, one of the young ladies who looked up at me, was standing right in front of me at the end of the service. She had a Bible in her hand and a devotional that was given to her by our team. And man, she just shared with me, hey, Pastor Anthony, I gave my life to Jesus. And you know I told her? I know, I saw you. And I'm so glad you came back and said something. I'm so glad. And I got to spend a few moments with her, encourage her about baptism. We'll be baptizing her very soon. But later on that day, I was looking towards this Sunday, and I got to thinking, how many times for that young lady in her 20s did saved people serve her? And because she was served, she was saved. I got to thinking of how many interactions, so let's just walk through it real quick. Think of her life and her being here last week. That means a saved person invited her to church. And she came. And when she drew, uh, drove up in our parking lot, there were saved people out in the parking lot waving at her. She came on in. There were saved people serving the Lord at the front doors who greeted her with a smile and by their very presence said, hey, we've been waiting for you. You're the guest of honor today. My guess is she V-lined to the coffee bar so she could survive the sermon. She got a cup of coffee by some more saved people who were serving the Lord. And they welcomed and greeted her and gave her a cup of coffee. For her to, then to leave and to walk into this room again with safe people serving at the door with a smile saying, Man, we're so glad you're here. And then she walked in and she sat in a chair that more saved people had set up for her. She walked in the room where the lights were a little bit dim, there was some music playing, it was set in the mood, done by saved people serving behind that board in, in the AVL room. And then all of a sudden, as the countdown got close to its end, the lights were raised up by another saved person who was serving the Lord. And the stage filled with saved people who were serving people who were singing the gospel with everything they had, playing their instruments to get the gospel out to her last Sunday morning. There were saved people working in the AVL room who, uh, who were making sure she saw the words of the gospel on the screen. There were Connect Kids workers downstairs, saved people serving people by watching her kids, and she sat here, and another saved person just so happened to be me last Sunday morning. Served the Lord by preaching the gospel. She gave her heart and her life to Jesus. I didn't stop there, because more saved people were out at the next steps tent. As she walked out there, and they gave her a brand new Bible and a Bible say they prayed with her. They took down her information. It started helping her take her next steps. Church, I want you to hear me. Why is it important that we serve in the life of this gathering together? Because when saved people serve people, served people get saved. Served people get saved. I want you to think of this. Back in Matthew 25, those sheep, those believers to the right side of Jesus... Or saved people who serve people. And they did so in one of the most trying times this world will ever know. In the great tribulation where it actually would require great sacrifice on their part. As all good service does. Hey, saved people. Are you serving people in the life of the body of Christ? And equally as important? Outside the walls of this place are you serving people in this community? You're probably like me. Images of Afghanistan that you've seen on the TV screen, on social media, on your apps are absolutely heartbreaking. (laughs) I, I guess this is just the arrogant American in me. Man, I wish I could just fly over there and save every woman and little girl if I had to with my own hands, from the evil, the terrorist that are the Taliban. I've watched it and it's broken my heart this past week. And hey, for what it's worth, before I go any further, to the brave soldiers and veterans of Afghanistan who are in this service, and I know you are today, thank you. Your mission was well done. Almost 20 years ago, I watched on my college campuses, buildings fell and planes flew into buildings, and you've prevented that from happening again. Thank you. Politics mess everything up, but your service is proud and honorable. And I know that the images that we've seen that have broken our heart, for you the veteran, hurt even more. So I just want to tell you this, this morning. We love you, we see you, and the Lord sees you. And thank you for your service. I've been keeping up with uh, various mission blogs and mission organizations that have missionaries embedded in Afghanistan right now. And you know what the Taliban has done? Now on the news, they're going to love every woman and child and they're going to be a society that is free and just as much as the devil lies so every time they speak they do. They went around and they mailed letters to churches all throughout Afghanistan and here's what they put in those letters. We know who you are and we are coming for you. Many church leaders and pastors in Afghanistan on this the Lord's Day do not believe they will be alive over the next couple of weeks, the Taliban will hunt them down and they will kill them for their faith in Christ. Don't believe what they say in the media. And you know, I got to thinking, as we gather together in freedom, and as a pastor, as I'm trying to, man, energize and excite the church, man, to serve, to be saved people who serve people, that right now in Afghanistan on this Sunday, with Taliban going door to door trying to find, capture, torture, and kill Christians, You know what's happening in the church in Afghanistan today? Saved people are serving people. They're meeting underground. They're gathering together and they're praying and hiding. Because here's what we know of the church. You ready? It will not back down. It will not shut up. They will continue to serve Christ and others because at the end of the day, saved people serve people. And that's all we know how to do. And the church in Afghanistan today, with great care and underground, are saved people who are serving people as even now they gather together in secret. In their gathering and in their going. And many, this week and the weeks ahead, will pay with their very lives. It's a reminder. That our churches, we're not museums for people to come and see. We are movements of God to mobilize His church to take ministry even outside of these walls and into the marketplace of everyday life. Martin Luther King once said this, Not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great. Because greatness is determined by service. Service. Hey, guys, not everybody in this room, not all of us are going to be famous one day. But all of us can be great. Why? Because greatness is determined by service. Hey, want to be great? Be saved people who serve people. Serve the Lord. Serve the least of these. In your gathering together and in your going. Jesus would say this to his disciples in Matthew 20, 26. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I read that passage, and you know I begin to think, Serving people in the gathering together and in His going was not beneath Jesus. And it should not be beneath any of us in here today. There is no task too small in service of the King, of all kings. Saved people serve people as we gather And as we go, think of it, God sent His Son into service to save people. Um, During World War II, there was a B-17 pilot by the name of John Fox. He was flying a mission one day, and on one mission he sustained flak from Nazi anti-aircraft guns. Even though his fuel tanks were hit, they did not explode, and so John was able to land his B-17 safely. And the next morning, John went to his crew chief, to the captain, and said, "This, hey, can I have those German that, that German shell that punctured my fuel tank? Can I have that shell? I, I want to keep it as a reminder of God's grace today that I that I was able to land my my, my plane." Well, the chief explained to him, the crew chief explained to him that it wasn't just one, but 11 German shells had penetrated his fuel tank and yet did not explode. And so that crew chief and those working with him began to dismantle those shells to see why they didn't explode. And here's what they found. As the technicians opened the shells, they found them void. They were missing explosive charges. They were clean and they were harmless, and with one exception, they were empty. The exception was in each of those shells was a rolled up, carefully rolled up piece of paper. And on that paper, written in the Czech language, were these words. This is all we can do. For now. This is all we can do for now. You see, a courageous assembly line worker was disarming bombs and would scribble this note and place it inside of every single bomb he disarmed. You know, he couldn't end the war. But he could do something. He couldn't do everything but he could do something and he did. Hey believer you can't do everything but today you ought to write on the tablet of your heart. I've got and I must do something. I must do something. Why? Because saved people serve people. Because served people